Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. Hi, folks. Happy New Year. If you're wondering why Page It to the Limit is in your podcast feed three times this month, we have a new feature for you. If you've ever been in like a conference talk or like been chatting with somebody and they say, you really should read this book. Here's this thing that I learned from this book that really made a difference for me. We've all been in that position and we've decided we're going to take some of those books that we've collected up over the years from other people's recommendations and read them as a little book club and then share them with you on the podcast. So our first book this month is going to be Close to the Machine, Technophilia and Its Discontents by Ellen Ullman. And with me to discuss this one is our boss, who we've never actually had on the show, which seems like an oversight on our part. (laughs) Tara, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my name is Tara King. I've been uh, leading the developer relations team here at PagerDuty for uh, 18 months, a year and a half or so. And prior to this, I was at Automatic working on developer relations for the WordPress project. And before that, I was a Drupal developer. So did a lot of web development, a lot of backend stuff, worked many, many places, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we talk about the book, because I feel like it brought up a lot of memories. Based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I like board gaming. Some things about me. Awesome. You have a few cats that... I do. I have two cats who might join the podcast. One of them is very chatty. That's awesome. Love it. All right. So this book, like I said, is Close to the Machine, Technophilia and Its Discontent. I have the electronic version, which seems to have been an update that was done in like 2011, 2012. It has a preface on it from Jerome Lanier, who's like a futurist and one of those kind of crazy people. But the original book was published in 1997. And what was weird for me on this one is like she's talking about being a programmer over the course of like about a 20 year period, I think has a memoir like there's dates missing and like yes, it's sort of challenging kind of weird right off the bat i'm like okay like i could kind of triangulate based on the, the stuff that she's talking about and like other things like what year it might be that she's talking about some of this stuff but then at the same time I'm like wait a minute what kind of strange it is a little strange there's definitely updates in the footnotes that are yeah. clearly post 97 very clearly post 97 talking about your facebook or whatever and it's also kind of surreal because I feel like a lot of these discussions basically are still happening. Yes. And so it's like she wrote this sometime before 1997, potentially anywhere between, I think, like she talks about becoming an engineer in 78 or something. Like a 20 year period of her writing this. And then now that's been, I don't want to do the math, but like 25 years, maybe 30 years. <laughs> it's been a while, it's been since, a while since this book came out. And I'm like, but are we talking about the recession now? Or like, what time are we talking about all of downtown being empty and no buildings? You know, like there's all this stuff that I feel like has recurred. And so it's especially confusing when you're trying to figure out when she wrote it in the first place. And then now it's all happening again. <laughs> sort of disorienting yes. to read that way. It's, yeah, it is super disorienting. And like, yeah, it's super strange. Like the premise, yeah, like you said, is this 20 year period of her life where she's flopping back and forth between being like a full-time employee of some like tech companies. And I think she worked at Sybase was part of that. And then her consulting company that she was running that 
they were building like little projects. And then the, the main project kind of gets into was about the response to the AIDS crisis in San Francisco. So like that definitely puts a pin in some time frames there, but like the rest of it. Yeah. I don't know. Could be anywhere. Yeah. And it's interesting also as a memoir, I feel like she's does a lot of like memory hopping anyway. Yes. So yeah. When is this AIDS project? When are these other projects? There's this character that she meets and he is a character named Brian. But yeah, the time thing was just a a total trip where, like you said, you can sort of triangulate, but it's not that clear. And then these specific, she talks about it going to a conference and the sci-fi writer talking at it. And I was like, I feel like somebody's got to know exactly which conference this is, but it's just far enough in the past that I don't know. Yeah. Is it in the 90s? Was it like in 96, right before the book came out? Or was it in 86? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, too, if this has been written more recently, there would be like a full Wikipedia breakdown of who these people probably are. I think one of the things that she does pretty well, actually, is like they are completely anonymous. And like you could guess, but you have to be pretty deep in the Silicon Valley, San Francisco connections to kind of know exactly what she's talking about anyway. For like someone who's coming into this and like not like knee deep in tech, like I'm not sure they're going to get what to get out of this. I wondered that too. Yeah, it's not a general audience sort of memoir, which is kind of interesting at this point to to have one that's kind of really kind of niche. It's quite niche. And I was wondering that, like, I feel like I get so much because of having my own like resonant memories. They're yeah. not always the same. Like, I, but oh, yeah, I've been on that project that was a total disaster, but it like felt the thrill of launching it on time and like all that stuff. And I was thinking about who could I recommend this to? Like all my family and friends were in tech also. And so I'm like, who do I know that I could convince to read this book and tell me what they think about it? Because it does feel so specific. Yes. I don't know if it actually is, but every time I read it, it just feels like I get a lot because I'm in the industry. Yes. But I don't know if others do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of how I felt reading it, too. Because like part of her later career, like she's a computer programmer, she's an author, she's written books, articles, she's written like fiction and nonfiction. And she was like a commentator for NPR's All Things Considered. So like, parts of her stuff has also been compiled there. And so like, she's been out and about in a while. And I have not really ever listened to All Things Considered. I listen to other NPR shows, but not like that one. So like, yeah, like you say, like, I'm not sure how much of her experience is universal, right? And that's one of the weird things you usually get out of a memoir. You think about, oh, exactly. Yeah, I had that same feeling, that same experience. And like, she's got a very, I don't want to say like a narrow life, but she kind of like the way she portrays herself in this book, she kind of does have a pretty narrow life. It does seem like there are long stretches of time where her whole life is work. Yeah. I don't know if that's accurate, but it, it absolutely reads that way. And I had an anthropology degree in college, very useful. This almost feels like an anthropology text in a sense that it's much more about the like lived experience of this subculture. And it was interesting to me to think about how much I feel like I still know these people now, even though it's been 25 years, 26 years. Like to me that like sometimes uh, swimming in the culture of tech, it's like, it's just how people are or whatever. And then reading this book, it was like, no, there is a culture. There is this like underpinning of the way that people think and talk and relate to one another that attracts certain people that changes, I think changes people who enter the field too. And so it's interesting to read it because yeah, it doesn't feel quite as much like I walked away from it, not feeling, oh, this is a, a great moral about humanity or something like this applies to all people. It's like, this is what 
this industry does. This is what yeah. people in this industry do, um, which was very, I don't know, it's unique. I don't know any other books like it, both inside of tech and outside of it. Like it, it's a very sort of specific feel. Yeah. And I was thinking about that too, as, as I was going through it, because like that late nineties kind of ethos, there was a lot of stuff that was coming out that was, I feel like trying to justify technology as a component of the culture and economy. And there was like the cathedral and the bazaar and there was dreaming and code. And there were like all these books that are like, Hey, there's human beings behind these computers that you're learning how to use. Mm-hmm. And like trying to almost justify spending your life in technology in, in kind of a way and like making it enticing to people to the point where like we're now mid career. And I'm thinking, well, does tech like, do we attract people of a certain type? Are, are there, yes. the Brian's just naturally attracted to <laughs> tech? Or does, does tech grow Brian's, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like this guy is, is super weird. And like you mentioned before, like history definitely maybe doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And like yeah. the Brian guy in particular, like I have met Brian many, many times over <laughs> yes. the course of my life. So Brian, for all you listeners out there, is a crypto guy. And this is the 90s, so it's cryptography, not cryptocurrency. However, Brian, super into decentralized, unregulated banking. And I'm like, Yay. <laughs> it made me look at the copyright on this thing again. I'm like, when is this written? Who are these people? And you're like, I know. oh, you sweet summer child. So like the whole thing, again, he's talking about, you know, his bent on libertarianism. And she's kind of having these kind of flashbacks to her early days, which I guess is in the late sixties. Like, I think she's probably the same age as like my mom. Okay. And so like late sixties, like she's a socialist, a communist, something. Yeah. She calls herself a communist. Yeah. Which brings like a whole other sort of conversation she's having with herself about like, there's a lot of imposter syndrome in this book. I think like so much heavy, heavy imposter syndrome. Yeah. And part of that comes out whether she keeps meeting these dudes who are a super libertarian and she's got like this streak of leftiness in her and if she feels like that makes her unqualified to be a technologist almost it was yes that part was super weird yeah and also like i feel like i have felt that way and so it was like yeah it's totally irrational to see someone else doing it It was sort of like what in the world you you're talking about all these projects you've led all this experience you've had you like so clearly grok the experience and then also, yeah, you're sitting here like, well, I was in like a feminist collective and I was a communist. And it's like, this doesn't make any sense, Ellen. Right. <laughs> Stop right. negging yourself. Like just, yeah. Yeah. It's all over the book. Just this like constant and like she's in consulting and contracting and stuff too. And the like ebb and flow of confidence yeah. around the contracting process is also something that I was like, I've been there too. Yeah. But yeah, it's, she writes it so kind of unflinchingly about herself that like, yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, that's not a reason that someone couldn't be a technologist. And yet it also was like, it's very relatable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a push pull in the culture, like libertarianism versus like, wanting to like change the world with technology that I think still permeates the technology culture. And sometimes to a point where it's like almost a caricature. But like, yeah, it definitely comes out in the way she's kind of like grappling with her past and like her relationships with these people and like how she perceives herself as part of this ecosystem that she's kind of building for herself is like thinking about the late 1980s early to mid 1990s there weren't that many folks who were actually technical yeah she wouldn't have computers she's right. in san francisco so she's seeing this all like in the miasma it's everywhere but right. like 
I was living in Pennsylvania in the mid nineties. Like I didn't know anybody with a, with a modem, let alone access to the internet or anything else. Like mm-hmm. it just was a completely different part. And like, I think loses a little bit of the perspective of like, she's worried about not being technical in a world that isn't yet technical. Right. Like she couldn't be outdated just by virtue of how many people are so far behind her, right? <laughs> like so far behind her. And I think that's still kind of true in some way. Like it's obviously we all have modems, we all have phones, but the kinds of stuff that people I feel like are insecure about now. And it's like, no one knows how to like open the terminal. Right. Like no one knows how to do that. So if you know how to do that, you're still yeah. like, like years ahead of people. And yeah, it is interesting how much her bubble is just so small. And yeah, my dad was a programmer in the 80s. And he was working here in Albuquerque and like, very technical, but like it was a it did not I didn't have any of these feelings. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? This felt very like, super intense, super condensed experience where they're like spending all of the time together in all of these like weird makeshift spaces, because the companies either just got started, or they just folded or like there are all these like weird office scenes where there's they count all the, the like dead cables in the office after everyone gets laid off all this like weird stuff that I'm just like, this is not the normal experience. This is, and, like, I'm kind of glad that she wrote it down because it is so extreme and of its time. Yes. It's some of it feels like a caricature. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of what you expect when a company winds down, like you walk in one day and all the cubicles are gone. Right. And I'm like, okay, you know, that. Mm-hmm. I guess that seems like a thing, but you still have the lease on the office space. Like what's, right. what hap- like, what's the logistics there? I don't know. We're just going to stay here in this empty building. Yeah. We're just going to hang out in these empty offices with no one else. And no one's going to notice we're here. And we're like, okay. Like, yeah, it's bizarre. She lives in a lot of, like you say, liminal spaces where like they just kind of like plop a few engineers into a room and then they work very intensely together and then they disperse. I think too that gives her like, there's a lot of loneliness, I think. Yeah. Some of my best friends are people I met at work, but like she's sort of mid-career and like there's there's nothing about her friends. There's nothing about like the people that she leans on when she needs to have a chat or just hang Uh out or whatever. Like there's this Brian who's like a pseudo romantic, strange San Francisco kind of thing going on. And then there's the guys that she pulls together as like her A team for a project. And then they disperse, but like, where are your friends? Like where's everybody else? There's this scene where she talks about her birthday. I don't remember which year it was. She's mentions her partner a couple times that she was like with this really wonderful woman for eight years and that this woman threw her a birthday party and she's like describing all of her friends. And it's like the first sort of normal, <laughs> like yes. non-work feeling scene where she's not like being a landlord or driving to and from a weird office. It's this very friendly scene. And then they open the cake box and she's like, the big reveal is that the cake says happy birthday, senior engineer, Ullman. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, like, it's not that I've never been excited about a title or like, I, I do get that too. But it was just like this weird, the first time that I'm like, oh, we're going to learn about other parts of her life. It's like, it's still about work. And I was, there's another scene she talks about these people from these projects, because she goes out with like a coworker for dinner after a project or whatever. Yes. And she says something like, I never got so and so's phone number after the project, like when he moved, and I wouldn't have called him anyway. Right. And it was just like, they really are so dis- – and she talks about the disposability of their relationships. And yeah. it's just interesting because I feel like there's so many sort of like dark undertones. Yeah, the loneliness yeah. and all the stuff that like – the book kind of ends on a hopeful note, but they don't really resolve. There's no, no like – it's all. okay that we're lonely. It's just kind of like 
this is yet another facet of being in this work world. Yeah. It's like, this is how it is. And it's kind of grim. And at the end, I was actually, like you say, it's a little bit hopeful at the end, but at the same time, like I'm kind of sad for her. Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm glad my career started at the end of this time period that she's talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like, I have great friends that I've worked with and people that I know and have built up relationships with over the past 25 Mm -hmm. years that she seemed to have missed out on. And like part of the blurbs for this book are like about her being like a, an unusual female programmer, yada, yada, Mm -hmm. which unfortunately, like that's probably not entirely true. Like we know there were more computer science graduates who were women in the eighties than there were in the late nineties. So she probably had a bigger cohort, but like she only talks about one or two others during the course of this. Yeah. It's like she revels maybe in being like a singular entity. Yeah. It's kind of like, there's like one other woman who she herself immediately writes off as a marketing person. Yes. And then that person is not a marketing person. No. And I was just like, Ellen, I'm like, come <laughs> on, like, don't do this. Like I've been written off. I mean, like I am in marketing now, but when I was fully like just writing software, people would say, Oh, you must be in marketing. It's like, I, come on. I was wondering, I wanted her next memoir didn't come out until 2017. And I, I obviously haven't read it yet, I haven't gotten it yet, but I was just like, did we learn any lessons? Because I kept thinking there's like this thread of her feeling too old and too out of date and like doesn't have the energy to sort of, and like, where, where, what happens with that feeling? What happens yeah. with this loneliness feeling? What happens with feeling like maybe she was the only one? Like, I don't know. Maybe she was the only woman around. Maybe she wasn't. I don't know. But like that feeling of being that way, like, where does it all go? Yes. <laughs> I just want to know because like, yeah, there's sort of, she gets a new project at the end and like, huzzah. But all these other questions don't seem resolved. And so I'm curious, like, what happened after this for her? I know. The interpersonal stuff really threw me for a loop. Like, yeah, okay, the subtitle is Technophilia and it's Discontents. But I wasn't prepared, I think, for, like, it to be quite so grim, I think, on on that side. Because, like, the techno part is fine. Like, she doesn't get deep into a lot of it. Like, there's one place, though, where I was kind of, like, chomping at the bit like and i i read this at the gym so like mm. makes me go faster on the elliptical and she <laughs> makes me mad but like she's talking to some guy she's taking an interview with some dude to be like the last programmer who knows this like weird obscure oh, yeah. thing mm-hmm. right and that's actually kind of interesting and like there's a side like they're smoking in the office which sounds horrible but like there's, there's you know it's the <laughs> 80s they know and she gets into this diatribe about like old stuff and legacy things and how useless they are and how like she gets real negative on this stuff i'm like this is okay so you're looking at the mid 1990s at the latest and she starts talking about cobol and i'm like ellen honey thinking about this in 2023 cobol's still with us like this stuff doesn't go anywhere yes i was thinking that i was like it's not gone yet it's still around it's still here Yes. I live in New Jersey. They put a huge thing out during COVID to help work on the state benefits because on COBOL, like, of course, it's in COBOL. It was in the 80s. It's in COBOL. And all those folks are retiring. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like she sort of talks about it like, um, like I don't know, like a mended piece of clothing that's yes. like getting patched. And I kind of loved that metaphor, but it is like she kind of believes it's going to go away. Yeah. And I just don't... Because it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it's just been around now for so long. Yeah. There is a lot of that. And I feel like maybe for the time period, it was just kind of the way things were that like things are changing very, very rapidly. And like everything is going to just keep moving forward, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. The hard truth about technology is that it doesn't like there's a lot of dead ends that like they don't continue to progress and they just 
sit there and continue to be legacy for decades. Mm-hmm. They're doing work and, and that work is necessary and nobody can figure out how to replace them. <laughs> so like, yeah. even the guy who's like, I'm going to be the last autocoder 1401 programmer. I'm like, no, yes. you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Probably <laughs> still running. Still out there. Yeah. And the amount of sort of like bubble gum that's just like in the heart of everything we do and oh, yeah. duct tape and bobby pins holding it all together. Like, yeah, there is the focus on the new. If you have a skill, like whatever it is, COBOL, there's still jobs for you, it turns out. And those people are actually pretty desperate <laughs> because no one wants to learn it. So if you actually know it, like stick around. I don't know. I was thinking about, um, I was in another conversation with some other, like in a women in tech group and they were talking about like, why aren't there older people in tech? Like, where are they? And part of the response was they are there. They're just not at like the startups. Like there are certain companies that tend to both value and allow that kind of employee and all kinds of things. Uh, and so it's interesting to have just had that conversation where folks were talking about sometimes they get tired of learning new stuff. Sometimes the company is just ageist. Sometimes they're there and you just don't know it. Like it was interesting to have kind of all those threads pop up in this book as well that like we actually do need really established folks for this legacy stuff. Like not everyone's going to know COBOL like a second language. Yeah, like that makes me think of something else too, especially with that stuff. Like the era she's talking about, like there weren't that many companies doing this kind of digitization. And like when you think about who needed compute power in the mid 80s into the mid 90s, like it is insurance, it is banking, it is finance, it is those folks with these sort of slow moving legacy environments that are powering things and printing money in the basement. And like, <laughs> those folks are still there. They're all still doing this work that felt old in 1997. And it's yeah. still being done because that was really the only, we didn't have Facebook. You didn't have the fangs sucking no. up every computer science graduate in the country. Yeah. There were only a few places where people were actually able to go and get jobs because there, there weren't that many jobs to have. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. I graduated a few years after this all takes place. I'm like, yeah, even at that time, like right after the, web burst like it was hard to get work that wasn't government i'm on the east coast so it was sure. we're all in washington dc because that's where you could get a job so mm -hmm. it was super weird and then the one time she's talking about she's really down on this legacy stuff but then at the same time she's the other side of the coin it's like she's really worried about the new stuff and not being able to keep up with it and like yeah. they listen and i laughed out loud at this they listen to this presentation from these folks pitching an intranet Mm. they said that she wrote the word intranet and i laughed i was like oh i'm sorry like that was a hot minute for intranet right there when that was yes. the, the thing everybody was doing with their it services and she's like so worried that they're displacing her thing yeah. yeah and i was like no those people aren't gonna go anywhere i mean they're gonna go somewhere we're gonna do something else but they're not gonna do that that's not actually the thing <laughs> like, no yeah no that that went nowhere it was kind of interesting looking at this like this aids project even as much as she talks about it being a virtual company and all this stuff, she went into an office and there she has to like disconnect the phone lines when she leaves. So all that was kind of a trip. But then also just thinking about they put a homepage on this like AIDS project for patients and everyone's kind of like looking at the homepage like, what's, what's this for? <laughs> like, nobody really knows what to do with it. And yeah. so it is interesting because I feel like for better or worse, we figured out what to do with it with the web because she finally is like, I guess we're just advertising. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that is, in fact, a large portion of the internet. So I, I, it was interesting to think of that project and how nobody knew what they were doing then. And honestly, yeah. I've been on very similar projects, not AIDS related, but like in the past 10 years that were just as much everyone throwing a bunch of darts at a board and like maybe one of them is going to stick. 
And I feel like as I got more experience as a programmer, that feeling of like, one of these darts is going to stick. And then we're going to be stuck with it for the rest of time. Yeah. <laughs> that feeling. So just like, sort of uh, interesting to watch them solve that problem with the tools that they had in, I don't know, the 80s, late 80s, I'm not sure exactly when that was, and realize like, well, we have JavaScript frameworks now. Yeah, <laughs> like right? ultimately, we're still, we're still throwing darts at a board and hoping it sticks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were probably writing most of this stuff in C because she talks negatively about C++. And I'm just like, oh, yes, it's fine. I know, right? Like, it's kind of a trip. Right? It's like, oh, yeah. time travel. I'm glad I didn't read this when it first came out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was nice to have distance from it, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So at the end, she like one of the on the like the last couple paragraphs, she's going to a new project. She's passed whatever imaginary test she felt like she had to pass for that one. That was another sort of trip down fantasy lane. Yeah. Like she uses this phrase, I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be, hurrying to a place I've never seen before. And out of the entire book, that for me was like, okay, you should have led with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is really what you're talking about the whole time here is like yeah. forging new experiences, forging new pathways for technology, coming up with stuff that people have never thought about before, especially with the AIDS project, right? Like they're yeah. linking up different citywide, maybe countywide organizations to help people dealing with eight and like at that time that was very forward thinking yeah but she kind of plays it off as just like this weird simple problem that they would have been able to solve if people weren't in the way i'm like "Mm, okay (laughs) you're going boldly where no one has gone before and like and then when it's over she's like i'm so glad to be done with all those people yeah like she's like i'm out of end user land or something is what she calls it yeah but yeah like it's cool nobody had done that not nobody, but like, I don't think a lot of people had figured out a way that computers could help patients, right? No. Like now it seems like I can't believe that I can't get my chart automatically sent to my telephone, my I cell know. phone. Like, you know, we have so many expectations of it. But back then it was like, we genuinely don't know what would even help necessarily. And then of course, she does sort of see the future a little of like, now we have all this data. Now they have all these systems connected to each other. What are you going to do with that? And how are you going to make the right choices? Um, It's an interesting balance between her kind of wanting to put the people first and then also finding them exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting thing. But yeah, I do think that new experiences thing is sort of throughout the book, even like her relationships, I feel like she's often seeking new input via like interaction with other people and new systems, new languages. Yeah, there's definitely that. Yeah, so we focus on the technology stuff. There's also other things in there about like her dad that were little interesting sidebars. But at the same time, I'm like, damn, you're rich. Holy crap. He's got property on John Street in Fidei in Manhattan, which I used to live in that neighborhood. And like, Mm. so like lots of money there. Mm -hmm. But then she talks about it as like it's a burden, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So there's little bits of that stuff there, but she doesn't really there too. Doesn't really go into too much detail and like, doesn't really mention her mom at all, which is kind of interesting. Almost ever. I feel like her sister's there briefly, but it's mostly her relationship with her dad. And yeah, those buildings, like I, her description of them, they're so decrepit and they're so weird and depressing. And then a couple chapters later, there's like all these trips to department stores and like, yeah, going to an Ivy league college and you know, (laughs) this like money all over it. And I was like, hold on, hold on. A sports car shows up. Some yes. pearls like, 
that was another one. It's so weird. She's like, I put on my real pearls to go meet this. Guy. I'm like, what? What, what in what the world is this? What happened? I know. <sighs> it's bizarre. Because, yeah, the, I think the first scene or very early, she's like up all night. There's like empty pizza boxes. It's dark. They're mind melding about some software they're writing. And I think she talks about, I don't know if she's riding a motorcycle, has a motorcycle jacket, but just kind of this like rebellious aesthetic yes. that she's cultivated. Yep. And so I kind of had this like very 90s hacker vibe. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like rollerblades and all that. Yeah. As the book progresses, suddenly there's a sports car and there's, you get these pearls and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's some amount of like shifting her persona based on where she's going. I, throughout the book, I feel like it's kind of constantly shifting for me what I'm taking away from her description for self and yeah definitely yeah i remembered it being personal i read it twice as my second time through but there was a bunch of personal stuff that i did not remember at all i didn't remember her dad being part of this i didn't remember brian for god's sake mm-hmm. oh brian's like burned into my memory now man. i know now i think i can't miss brian <laughs> he's a trip <laughs> yeah the line like classical mu- music is not yet in my databanks or something oh, along right? those lines what she asks which if you want to listen to bach so anyway yeah, it was much more. Per- I remember. I think I was younger, and so I was like all the highs of the projects of the like starting a new thing. I think really resonated with me at that time. And then reading it again, I was like, it's in there, but man, there's a lot of other stuff going on here. You know, yeah. there's like family grief and breakups and questionable relationship choices and self doubt, just top to bottom self doubt. Feels like, yeah. Definitely. And also what made her write this book? Yeah, what's driving this? And to the point, like, she has another one that sounds like it's very similar in scope, but she just wrote it in 2017. And mm. that one's Life in Code, a personal history of technology. And it oh yeah. The blurb sounds like it's really just like part two of this Interesting. Like in the next 20 years. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm not like you said or said earlier, like I'd like to know what she figured out if she learned any lessons, but at the same time, like I don't know if i could go through that again 20 more years of self-doubt and right yeah i don't know maybe i'll pick it up she's a good writer she's a very compelling writer yeah but i just was like there's a lot of people who write books about technology like i don't know any books like this yeah and so the idea of writing it down and then reaching out to a publisher and saying like hey i want to you know like especially because it's critical of the industry it kind of is in many yeah. ways. And then there's many characters. There's Brian. There's this Republican VP. She wears the pearls for. Yep. There's a different VP who she schmoozes with at a party who she's just like, I used to wonder if these people had depth to them. And now I realize they don't. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> just motivated by money. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, I just wonder like, what was the reception also among those crowds? Like did the yeah. people that, you know, that's always a question with memoirs. Like do the people in the book know? Yeah. 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 And this one's just so work-related. I just, I'm just curious how it came to be. Yeah. For folks out there, I don't, I like you say, I don't know if I'd recommend it. Like, it's an easy read. It's not super long. Yes. But, like, at the same time, it is kind of grim and a little bit sad. And, like, I hope her next 20 years were better, really. Yeah. As technology kind of became more part of the zeitgeist and part of, like, the major part of our culture. Like, mm-hmm. it definitely was not that in, in this time period that she's talking about. But I kind of felt kind of sad for her in her multi-million dollar loft with her sports car and her <laughs> pearls. And if you're already this sad about technology in 1997, like I right? don't know that it's going to get better for you. <laughs> but maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So maybe we'll have to think about reading the other one. I don't know. 
Yeah, I feel like I enjoyed reading it. And it is super short. But it also just does feel like the people I know who'd be interested in the subject matter, I don't know if they'd be interested in like the tone. Yeah. And the people who don't care about the subject matter, I don't know if, like I said, I'm gonna see if I can try to trick someone into reading it. <laughs> see, <laughs> see what they think. Because I am very curious about that. I, I feel so sometimes in a bubble that yes, hearing a voice from outside of it, you know, there's a lot of people talking about tech who aren't in tech, but I don't find they're always that credible about it. Yep. It's like maybe four hours, three hours of reading time. It's not long. And then I want to hear your thoughts. Yes. <laughs> maybe I'm a snob. I don't know. But I'm glad I had a chance to look at it again. It was interesting for sure to read it after a while and feel like, oh, I didn't even notice all this stuff. Yeah. It's been in my TBR since like 2012. Mm, mm-hmm. At this point, I can't remember what might have compelled me to pick it up in the first place. <laughs> yeah, don't either. Because, like, people tell me to, like, read books, and I'll be like, I'll go ahead and buy it if it's cheap or whatever on my Kindle, or or put it in a hold or on a wish list or whatever. So it's always kind of there. But by the time I get around to some of these, like, I totally have forgotten the context of why anyone recommended it. No idea, but it was there, so. Yeah, same. Yeah, like I said, somebody must have recommended it. I don't know. I don't think I would have just found it at the library. Yeah, I don't think it would have stood out for me either. Thanks for having me on to talk about books. Yeah, thanks for coming on to our books initial book club episode this has been great happy to be super exciting so for folks out there if uh you'd like to be a guest on our regular show or if you want to be part of our book club like let us know we're community-team at pagery.com or there's a form i'll put it in the show notes as well it's a bit.ly slash page book club and i've got some potential titles for upcoming episodes where i'm looking for guests um so if you're into tech books and want to take a look at what's on the list or if you want to suggest anything that we should take a look at and why so i have some context of like why did i put this in my tbr (laughs) i don't even know anymore but we are scheduling some things up and the the titles and the potential recording dates are on there so if you've got the time and want to read some books with us you can sign up to do that join us (laughs) awesome awesome all right Thanks, Tara, for coming on. And for everybody else out there, we'll wish you an uneventful day. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. That does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.